Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Qalam is an organization that is dedicated to making Islamic knowledge accessible to everyone. Alhamdulillah, Qalam has been able to serve so many people all across the world in so many ways. And now, Qalam has the opportunity and the ability to take its work to the next level. Qalam now has the ability to expand its offerings to people all across the world in so many different ways. Qalam is acquiring a campus, a home, where we can continue to do the work that we do and in fact increase what we do. But we need your help, we need your support to make that dream a reality. Go to qalamcampus.com and donate generously. Every single person listening to this podcast benefiting from Qalam, I need you to go there and donate and share that link far and wide and let's all of us come together, invest into our sadaqah jariyah and take this work to the next level. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Now enjoy the podcast. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salaman ala ibadihi ladhin astafa. Khususan ala sayyidi rusuli wa khatim al-anbiya. Wa ala alihi al-askiya wa ashabihi al-atqiya. Amma ba'd. We are continuing our class on Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda Rahimahullah Ta'ala's book, Ar-Rasul Al-Mu'allim. In this book, he takes us on a journey to understand what kind of teacher and educator Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was. The role of mentorship is built into every human being's life. Every person, to some degree, serves as an educator and teacher to someone. A sibling, a friend, a co-worker, a child. Knowing how to serve that role through the prophetic example is so important because it could make you the means of great change in the world that surrounds you. So here we have some narrations. Shaykh Abdul Fattah rahimahullah ta'ala is describing what kind of teacher the Prophet was. We were reading through some narrations and today we're going to read through um, a few narrations from the Shama'il of Imam Tirmidhi. He references them at the beginning. And these narrations are descriptions of Rasulullah What kind of person the Prophet was taking us on an insight, taking us on, an, on the journey to see uh, the the, the description of the Prophet ﷺ as a human being, how him being a good educator was something that was built into him. Yes. Tirmidhi narrates his shamayl on the authority of Aisha who had said, Rasulullah never used to speak continuously without pausing the way you do. Instead, he used to speak clearly with frequent pauses in between so that those seated with him were able to remember what he had said. So here he see, we see Aisha radiallahu anha while describing what kind of communicator the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was. She says, مَا كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ يَسْرُدُوا كَسَرَدِكُمْ هَذَا Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam didn't continuously speak, just keep going, مُتَتَابِعًا يَسْتَعْجِلُوا بِهِ Just being quick and rushing through speech. وَلَكِنْ كَانَ يَتَكَلَّمُ بِكَلَامٍ بَيِّنٍ فَصْلٍ 
Rather, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would pause and he was very clear in his words. يَحْفَظُهُ مَنْ جَلَسَ إِلَيْهِ Giving an opportunity to the one that was present to preserve, to safeguard, to memorize what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was saying. Yes. Speaking continuously without pausing in between is liable to cause confusion amongst listeners because they may not understand and remember the words. Tirmidhi narrates in his shaman on the authority of Anas who had said Rasulullah would repeat a word or sentence three times so that it could be understood. Sometimes when a person hears the message the first time, you're speaking and you say something once, they don't hear you. And then you say it a second time, they may have an understanding or may kind of half grasp what you're saying. There is a need at times to repeat what you're saying up to three times. Now this doesn't mean Rasulullah repeated every statement of his three times. The Prophet would look at the one that was listening to him because some listeners require repetition. And that shouldn't frustrate you because that's who that individual is. You may have a child or friend and you know because of your lengthy relationship with them that this isn't someone that catches the message the first time around. So you have to say it again. And you need to clarify yourself. Then you know this person understands what you're saying. Other times, the people who are listening may be sharp and probably can understand what you're saying the first time around, but you still repeat it three times because of the emphasis on what's being said. The Prophet ﷺ would do this where he would repeat one message again, and again, and again. And this is a part of, of, of the teaching methodology of Rasulullah ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ would repeat important messages in one gathering and then again in multiple gatherings. In our circles of knowledge, it's common for people to get tired of hearing the same message more than once. Oh, I already heard this khutbah. I know exactly what he's going to say. Or I've heard this narration before, so it's time for me to turn off. That isn't appropriate. This deen is not some entertainment where you're looking for something new every time you flick the television on. This is a serious affair. And the Quran is full of that repetition because the message deserves it. The message requires it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَذَكِّرْ فَإِنَّ الذِّكْرَ تَنْفَعُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Similarly, one of the most common khutbahs of the Prophet ﷺ was something that they referred to as khutbah taqwa What was it called? Khutbah taqwa This was the most famous sermon of Nabi ﷺ. He would deliver it um, for Jum'ah when performing nikah as well. And khutbah taqwa at the beginning consisted of how many verses? Three verses. And what were the three verses all about? Taqwa. يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسُ اتَّقُوا يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمُنُوا اتَّقُوا يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمُنُوا اتَّقُوا Three times the same message again and again. The Prophet ﷺ would repeat it. So that way that message was made abundantly clear. The issue is that people don't know what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do. So there is a child who's being scolded by their parent and the child really doesn't know what they did wrong. I don't know what I did wrong. So you have to be extra clear to communicate that this is okay, this is not okay. Therefore Rasulullah he said in one narration, Al-Halalu Bayyunun wal-Haramu Bayyunun That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made the per- permitted that which is allowed in Islam abundantly clear, Bayyun. 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has equally also made the haram very clear that we know what is haram. Now between the two are other matters that not everyone has knowledge of. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa in that specific narration tells us to steer clear from ambiguous areas. Yes, go ahead. In other words, the message should be clearly understood and firmly embedded in the mind of the listener. This principle, this principle illustrates Rasulullah perfect guidance and compassion to his followers in general and to his students in particular. This noble hadith shows that it behoves a teacher to proceed slowly and cautiously in his lessons. He should explain any matter energetically and should also repeat himself when necessa where necessary in order to be clearly understood. When you're teaching, it's easy for a teacher to focus on the most intelligent student in the classroom. So you're teaching to the smartest. In that case, you can use more sophisticated language, you can make multiple references, use you know, um, technical uh, terminology. The issue is that students who are not at that level, if you're not teaching to the median or even the weaker students, they will be lost easily. And then they will lose confidence that, oh, this is something that's beyond me. There are some educators that you'll see, whether it's uh, through YouTube tutorials or they have books, they're so clear and so um, you know, simple in their language. I say simple because they don't work hard on using sophisticated words. They use words where they are necessary to convey a particular point. Otherwise, they're not flexing. What they're trying to do is get that message across. And this happens through repetition, it happens through exercises, it happens through class conversations, it happens through analogies, it happens through using multiple modes of education. Some people are listeners, others are readers, others are doers. So getting them involved, getting as many of their senses as you can engaged in that process. When a person interacts with, when a person interacts with their knowledge through all these different avenues, now that message is thoroughly embedded in their mind and it becomes easy for them to retain. So here we see this in Rasulullah as well as a teacher. Now he goes to, these next two narrations are a little longer. These are uh, descriptions of Rasulullah The first one is from Hassan bin Ali who asked um, Hind bin Abi Hala, who was the stepbrother of Fatima one of Khadija children from a previous marriage. So uh, he asked his, uh, his, his uncle, his maternal uncle, that described for me Rasulullah what kind of person was he. So he then shares, again this is a famous narration of uh, Tirmidhi. Yes, go ahead. Tirmidhi narrates in his shanail on the authority of Hassan bin Ali who said, I asked my uncle, Hind ibn Abi Hala, who was very good at describing Rasulullah to describe Rasulullah to me. He replied, Rasulullah was in constant worry and always in thought. He was never at ease. He would remain silent for lengthy moments and did not speak unnecessarily. Right here we see that Rasulullah continuously concerned and worried. In order to be an educator, you have to have genuine concern of your subjects. You have to be worried about them, right? 
be concerned for them. Daim al fikra, in deep thought. Laysat lahu raha, tawilu sakt, la yatakallamu fi ghayri haja. And a part of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam being in constant concern and worry of people, he would remain silent. Because when a person is silent and they're talking less, their mind is engaged. Rasulullah is thinking of different strategies of how to engage different people, how to talk to them, how to convince other people. Earlier I was mentioning that some teachers teach to the cream of the class, while others teach to the average student in the class. The one that teaches to the average student of the class, the overall experience for the students in that class will be amazing. Because everyone feels that they were spoken to. When you're only speaking to the most intelligent student in the class, those that are not at that level will feel neglected, feel hurt, feel that they aren't acknowledged, that I'm new to the subject, I get it, but that doesn't mean that I should be ignored altogether. It's the skill of a teacher who knows how to take those that are struggling along with, and then those that are more advanced in the class, engaging them where they are needed to be engaged. This is the type of teacher that you know, is a skilled expert teacher who has experience. And we see this clearly in the example of Rasulullah That when it, when it came time to drop knowledge, Nabi did so. Engaging the ulama from the sahaba. And when it came time to keep things simple and basic, Rasulullah's public sermons, his lectures where he was talking to people, he accommodated everyone uh, in, the, in the congregation and took care of everyone. So Rasulullah had a genuine concern. Now he speaks of the speech of the Prophet Taala. That when Nabi would initiate his speech or when he would conclude his speech, he would do so with the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is appropriate. So that way, as we're seeking our knowledge and as we're uh, educating ourselves or educating others, we do so within the framework of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I was speaking to my children once and I said to them that because they're memorizing the Qur'an, that it is important that before every session of Qur'an memorization, you spend some time remembering Allah, sending salawat and making dua to Allah. And then at the end of the session, do it again. The reason is because tomorrow, inshallah, you will memorize the Qur'an. Five years from now, ten years from now, if you stick to it, you'll do it. But the question is, will Allah have been a part of that journey or not? For those parents or those teachers that encourage their students every morning to do the dhikr of Allah, those students will now uh, have this mindset that the knowledge we gain was a result of the barakah given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when you fail your sabaq that day, your lesson, or if you're having a hard time with a particular assignment, rather than just closing the book and maybe just being frustrated, or sometimes you feel those tears flowing down your eyes because you're just so overwhelmed, in that moment turn to Allah and make dua to Allah. You will get through that inshaAllah. Allah will guide you due to your sincerity. But if you make dua at that time, and engage in the dhikr of Allah, your memory of that moment won't just be that you were struggling, it will be that you struggled and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was with you. And you were able to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your tough moments. So, يَفْتَتِحُ الْكَلَامَ وَيَخْتِمُهُ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى وَيَتَكَلَّمُ بِجَوَامِعَ الْكَلِمِ When Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would speak, Allah had given him concise speech. 
Concise speech is where the Prophet ﷺ didn't need to speak hours and hours to, to convey a single point. He would say something and it would be very brief. Yet the depth of it would be so great that humanity will study it until the end of times. If you read the ahadith of Rasulullah ﷺ, those of you who are in hadith class, you'll know that how long is your average narration? How many lines? Two lines, three lines, some of them five lines. The commentary that follows those two lines, how long is that? Three pages. Huh? Three pages, five pages, a hundred pages? I'm not kidding you. I'm, there's no hyperbole here, I mean this, right? There's, I, I always cite the example of Imam Shawkani's uh, book on Hadithul Wali. You know the riwayah, Man Adali, uh, Man Adali Waliyan Fakad Adantuhu Bil Harb, that whoever uh, takes one of my friends as an enemy, I announce war against that person. This is a hadith, it's a hadith of Qudsi. The full narration is no more than four lines long. He wrote a whole book on it. And every part of that book, for those of you who think that maybe it's just academic fluff, it's not academic fluff. Like every page in that book is something, something special. There is a scholar by the name of uh, Sheikh Maulana Musa Ruhani Bazi. My Sheikh, Sheikh Yusuf used to speak very fondly of him. He used to always say that he was a great scholar, a great scholar. One day, I was online just going through um, some archives of PDFs, and I came across one of his books. It was on the name of Allah, just the word Allah. It was like a four or five hundred page book. And I kid you not, three pages into the book, I felt like I was the dumbest human being in the world. Because I couldn't understand what he was even saying. It was so technical. By the way, this is recent. This is not like 10, 15 years ago. This is recent. I was reading this book and it wasn't making sense to me. Not because the content was incoherent, but it was because he was speaking at a level that I hadn't read at yet in my life. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq to benefit from their works. It's in Arabi, by the way. That book is in Arabi. You can find this book online yourself, Sheikh Musa Ruhani Bazi's book. I forget the actual title of it, but it was on the name of Allah. I have it in my, um, my drive as well. That in very few words, Rasulullah was able to convey a deep message. Sheikh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghadda in the commentary of this uh, particular text, he gives examples of some of these concise statements of Nabi I'll share them with you, I won't comment on them though, because then that'll just become a lengthy discussion. He cites some examples. Oh, yatakallamu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bil kalimatil qalila. Ay, sorry, not oh. Ay, yatakallamu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bil kalimatil qalila al jami'ati lil ma'anil azimatil kathira. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would speak few words that were very rich in deep meanings. Mithlu, for example, qawlihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ad dinu nasiha. Wa qawlihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ihfadillah yahfad. وقوله صلى الله عليه وسلم اتق الله حيثما كنت والحلال بين والحرام بين وإذا لم تستحي فاصنع ما شئت ودع ما يريبك إلى ما لا يريبك وإن الله كتب الإحسان على كل شيء إن الله طيب لا يقبل إلا طيبا حفت الجنة بالمكار وحفت النار بالشهوات المسلم من سلم المسلمون من لسانه ويده من حسن إسلام المرء تركه ما لا يعنيه 
لو يعطى الناس بدعواهم لدع الرجل دماء قومه دماء قوم وأموالهم ولكن البينة على المدعي واليمين على من أنكر وقوله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا ضرر ولا ضرار وقوله صلى الله عليه وسلم البر مطمئن إليه النفس وطمئن إليه القلب والإثم ما حاك في صدرك وتردد في الصدر وإن أفتاك الناس وأفتوك وقوله صلى الله عليه وسلم إن خير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل بدعة ضلالة وقوله صلى الله عليه وسلم من أحدث في أمرنا هذا ما ليس منه فهو رد And like this, these are just 20, he listed 21 of them so I read all 21 of them out for you uh, I'm sure you guys are very interested in knowing what these ahadith are and I'm very interested in sharing them with you too, but I'm fully aware that I'm not capable of just translating them. I'll want to comment on them and then that'll become a whole lecture series itself. So maybe one day if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us life, we can cover a whole series just on the Jawami al-Kalim. Shah Waliullah Muhaddith Dehlawi rahimahullah ta'ala compiled a 40 hadith collection on just the Jawami al-Kalim. It is a perfect book to memorize for those who are interested in memorizing hadith. Each of those narrations are four words, five words, six words. Have you guys seen it? Yeah. I think we used to teach it at Qalam at some point as well in the past. It was a, it was a class that we had at the seminary. So he has a book on the Jawami al-Kalim by Shah Waliullah Muhaddith Dehlawi rahimahullah ta'ala. Okay, go ahead. His speech, which was neither too lengthy nor too short, was concise and extremely meaningful, in the course of which he would often pause. He was neither stern nor was he looked down upon. He was greatly appreciated. He greatly appreciated the bounty of Allah, irrespective of how minute it might be. He did not find fault with any bounty. He, did not find fault with any food or drink, nor did he praise it excessively. The world and worldly matters did not anger him. But if the truth, religion, was trampled upon, nothing could stand in the way of his anger till he triumphed in support of it. He never got angry nor took revenge for personal, for personal motives when he had to point to someone or something. So right here we see as he's describing the Prophet as his personality, this Hind bin Abi Hala he says, La fudula wa la taqseer. Nabi didn't speak too much, nor did he speak too little. It was the right amount. Some people speak too less, right? And there are some people who speak too much. And you pray to Allah in your heart when you're in a room with them that, Ya Allah, allow this person to understand that it's time to put a sock in it. <laughs> They're talking way too much. My Shaykh Rahimullah used to always scold me for this. He scolded me so much in my life for talking a lot. And the ajeeb thing was, whenever he saw me, I'd be talking. 
And he would look at me with this eye of disappointment and would nod his head. And God, I felt guilty every time. I felt like someone was chewing me out. And he never said to me that you speak a lot. He would just look at me and nod his head. And that silence spoke so much that it would keep me at night awake that, gosh, I need to learn to stop speaking so much. May Allah give us all tawfiq. When we were students and we were going in for i'tikaf, a part of our graduation requirement was that you had to do a 40-day i'tikaf. So when we were entering into our 40-day i'tikaf, we went to one of our teachers and we asked him, we said, Hazrat nasihat kare, Sheikh, give us some advice. He said, Jaa mein karta. I'm not going to give you advice, get out of here. We said, why? He said, tum ko You won't listen to anything I tell you anyway. You're, just, you're asking for advice because it's fun to ask for advice, but you have no interest in acting upon the advice. So we left. A few days later, we went back to the sheikh again. He was an old man. And we said, sheikh, no, we were starting our atikaf. There was 60 of us doing atikaf together, all of our graduating class, and we were really interested in trying to make the most of this. Give us some advice. And gosh, he gave the hardest advice. He said, don't talk while you're in atikaf. Learn to keep to yourself. Learn to stay with your thoughts. May Allah give us tawfiq. لا فضول ولا تقصير تقصير what does that mean wasn't too less wasn't less well not too much not too little Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam so it's like we would say لا إفراط ولا تفريط right not excessive and neither was it deficient ليس بالجافي Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam was not someone that was harsh with people ولا مهين and neither was he someone that people did not take seriously. People respected the Prophet So right here we see that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam So under la maheen ay laysa huwa bil muhtaqar Muhtaqar He wasn't someone that was looked down upon So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was not someone that was harsh with people Jafi ghalidu taba That scolding people, always shouting at them and saying mean things to them Beating them, hitting them, you know, talking down their ego and confidence this is an easy way to lead a human being into decades of misery, pain, stress, and tension. Probably kill their confidence along the way too. I'm speaking to the parents here specifically. Those of us who have children, if we keep shouting at them, if we keep speaking down to them, we keep telling them that they're idiots and that we're disappointed in them and that they are, you know, you know they're thick in their heads. Bilquf, himar. If we keep saying things like this to them again and again, forget again and again, let's just, let's, let me start that again. If we say things like this to them, even once it's not good. You shouldn't be speaking down to people. How many young people do we have in our communities who are so excited about having imams or Islamic school teachers, any teacher as a mentor because they did not find that love and care at home? They can't tell anyone about it because that would be really bad for their family. It would be an ar and aib on their lineage, on their group that they're from. So they have to keep that a secret. But no one has really empowered them. People haven't come to them and said, no, you can do this. I see it in you. We're going to get through this together. I'm your support. People who are patient with them, who show them you know, a path that's ahead of great growth. 
along the way, if you scold someone, that's okay. But that scolding is in the paradigm of compassion. This is something that's worth noting with Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam was uh, you know how sometimes they say your teacher should be your greatest fan? That's the type of person Nabi Sallallahu was. So much hope in them, seeing so much greatness in them. Yet at the same time, did Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam scold his companions? The example I always share with the students is Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu anh. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam loved him. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam loved him a lot. Did he get angry with him? Absolutely. That time when he did that Isha Salah thing, Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam got very upset with him. And even though he was one of the closest companions to the Prophet ﷺ, that Isha Salah thing, by the way, if you're wondering what it is, he led a long Isha Salah in the community, and the people of the community came and complained to Rasulullah ﷺ. Nabi ﷺ got very angry at him. He reprimanded him. And at the beginning of that narration, before he reprimanded him, Mu'adh ibn Jabal and the narrators, they say, that the Prophet shadidan, he was very angry in that moment. So, just because you get angry at someone doesn't mean that you don't love them and that you're not inspiring them. Nabi was not harsh with people. There was a student that once uh, said to me that they were in class in Alamiya program, so they were you know, in an advanced Islamic studies classes and all the classes were in Arabic. So the student was reading, it was a female, it was a sister. So she was reading uh, the Arabic and she made a mistake. And she made a bunch of mistakes in her reading. So she said, man, the teacher laid into me. And he said things that hurt me, that broke my heart. Like what kind of Arabic is this? Your Arabic is trash, it's garbage. And one of her family members is a scholar, so he said that even though you're from a family of scholars, you read like this too. It's heartbroken. It's not appropriate. This is not how you build people, this is how you break them. And we're not interested in breaking people. People always cite the examples, but what about Sheikh Fulan? Sheikh Fulan that, was, that scolded his students. Here, look at his biography. It says here that Sheikh Tanu said something very rough to one of his students. Or Sheikh Fulan said something really rough to one of his students. Usually those statements are a result or at the end or in the middle of a long relationship that existed. One full of love. One full of empowerment. Not on day one that when you walk into a community or you'd have few students in front of you who you've never invested in, in any relationship. Our teachers that would get upset with us and they would scold us, we appreciated it. Why is that? The reason was because these were the same teachers that would invite us to their homes for meals. These were the same teachers that asked about our families. These were the same teachers that the, at the beginning of the dars, they would say, tell us about your family members. How are things back home? How is the weather in America? You think the weather of America is relevant to some guy sitting in England? No matter how good the weather in America is, the weather in England will continue to suck. But they would ask anyway. So, These are small, you know, small talk. But they asked these things. And it showed that this person cared. So at the end of that love, if there was a little bit of firmness, um, some reprimanding, in reality, you appreciated it. Because you saw both sides of the tarbiyah. 
our teacher, Shaykh Yusuf ta'ala, before he passed away, he published a three-volume book called Muhabbat Nameh. Muhabbat Nameh, translated into English, means love letters. What he did before he passed away, rahimahullah, was he published all the correspondence that he had between himself and his sheikh. And it was a three-volume book. All the letters that his sheikh wrote to him, and the letters that he wrote back, and I kid you not, it's a gold mine. It's really a gold mine. Because he's in England establishing one of the first seminaries of its type, and his teacher, Shaykh Al Hadith Mana Muhammad Zakaria Ta'ala, was this grand muhadith, and he's telling him about the difficulties of building, establishing a seminary in the West, and his Shaykh is coaching him through it. And he's talking, in the letters he talks about his personal development, he talks about his marriage, he's taking advice from his sheikh about his child, and illness, and dealing with death, and all of it. Fundraising, right? And the sheikh is coaching him. So all those letters, three volumes of them, are all published. One time someone said to Shaykh Yusuf, rahimahullah, that it's good that you published letters, like we've benefited so much from this correspondence, this organic, natural correspondence. You know, online everything is uh, altered, right? Everything has a filter on it. Sometimes it's the Cairo filter, sometimes it's the Paris filter. There's always some filter on everything. These letters were unfiltered. It was just the way it was. He did not remove one letter. So someone said to him, Sheikh, you're this grand senior Sheikh who is publishing these correspondences wouldn't it be appropriate that you remove the parts where Sheikh Zakaria is very hard with you? Like in some letters, he says, you are a stubborn man. You're always asking questions, but you don't get things done. So he says, is it necessary for you to write that part or to publish that part in the book as well where your Sheikh is calling you a stubborn man or he's reprimanding you? Sheikh Yusuf Ta'ala said, those are the highlights of the book. I would never delete them from the book. Because those points show how much he actually loved me. And in reality, for the reader, they're so phenomenal because it shows that as an individual, he was on the path of constant growth. And even though far into his life, while he's corresponding with his teacher, his teacher's you know, correcting him and, and, and scolding him at times. And for students, it's such a refreshing, refreshing read to see that life is a continuous journey of growth. لَيْسَ بِالْجَافِي Nabi Wasallam was not harsh with people. Learn to be kind to your students. Use good words. If they are family, hug them, embrace them, kiss them. If they are not family, then send gifts to them. Ask about them, smile at them. If they're struggling, show them hope. If they're absent, ask about them. Check up on them. لَيْسَ بِالْجَافِي يُعَذِمُ النِّعْمَةَ وَإِن دَقَّتْ Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he made every small blessing seem great. Every small or great thing, Nabi sallallahu treated it big. So you're in your class and your student uh, does something right. You have two ways to do this. You can either say that was amazing or you can say finally. You guys understand? For once. You can do a thank God followed by an eye roll. Thank God. You can do one of those, or you can say that was great. Alhamdulillah. May Allah increase you. 
when I was memorizing the Quran, I lacked a lot in confidence because memorizing the Quran was very difficult for me. And my teacher on multiple occasions, may Allah reward him, uh, and I know it sounds bad, but he wasn't being mean about it. He was being very compassionate. He had told my parents that I wasn't cut for tahfid al-Quran. He just said, your child's not, let him do something else with his life. This is not going to work out. I used to struggle a lot with confidence. Then there was one teacher, Sheikh Abdul Samad, may Allah preserve him. These days he lives in Jersey. He, he, I joined his class and he started teaching me. He was very strict by the way. Uh, he was also the teacher of Sheikh Muntasir. Sheikh Muntasir also did Tahfid al-Quran with him as well. One of the teachers at the Qalam Seminary. We studied with the same teacher. Years apart though. So anyway, when I would read sometimes, just to boost confidence, specifically when I would read Surah Rahman, he would gather the class together, and after every ayah that I would read, he would make a dua. After every ayah. By the way, bear in mind at this point, I was maybe eight years old. So he would, I would say, Ar-Rahman. He would say, May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make you a hafid. And everyone would say, Ameen. And then I would say, Allama al-Quran. And then he would make a dua. Everyone would say, Ameen. And he would do this for every ayah. Every ayah. He did this more than once. So one day, after I finished class, I went and I called my mother and I was in tears. And my mama said, why are you calling? Why are you crying? So I said, mama, I was reading and he was making dua. And he made dua that, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make you a mufti. Everyone said, ameen. And I felt like he was mocking me because I know I'm never going to get there. Allah is my khuda mara gawahi. Allah is my witness to that day. And my mother also said, Ameen. She said, Allah will get you wherever you need to be. It was, you know, this person's statement, it stuck with me for almost two decades of my life. It stuck with me. 15, 20 years. Those words of his, I kept thinking that maybe one day that dua of his may come true. Maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will allow me to sit with people of ilm and study the deen. You have to have people around you who will lift you will tell you you can do it. يُعَذِّمُ النِّعْمَةَ وَإِنْتَقَّتْ وَلَا يَذُمُّ مِنْهَا شَيْئًا غَيْرَ أَنَّهُ لَمْ يَكُنْ يَذُمُّ ذَوَاقًا Okay, continue. When he had to point at someone or something, he pointed with his entire palm. Because pointing with one finger was viewed to be disrespectful. So Rasulullah rather than pointing with a finger, he would point with his hand. Our Shaykh Rahimullah would do this as well. When he would tell someone to sit, he would make this sort of a gesture. Ayyeh, bete. He would point with all of his fingers to the place where that person was to sit. Uh, out of uh, imitation of the sunnah. Yes? When he became surprised or astonished over any matter, he turned his palm upside down. He, uh, downside up. Downside up. Qalaba. Yeah, Sorry, there you go. Mm-hmm. When he spoke, he struck the inside of his left thumb with the palm of his right hand. Inside of left thumb, palm of right hand. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi would do this a lot when he would speak. This is a common gesture of Rasulullah when he would give khutbah or when he would be speaking to people, he would do this sort of a gesture. The inside of his right palm with his uh, left thumb. Yeah. ضَرَبَ بِرَاحَتِهِ الْيُمْنَى بَطَنَ إِبْهَامِهِ الْيُسْرَى Yes. If he Sallallahu Alaihi became angry with anyone, 
he would turn away, he would turn away completely from him. And the Sahaba, they say it was painful being that person who Rasulullah would not talk to. Yes. But they were smart too. And they appreciated him. The famous narration, when Nabi once Nabi Sallallahu was taking a stroll in Medina and he saw a person had built a lofty building. So he asked the Sahaba, who does this belong to? So they told him. Nabi Sallallahu walked away from there. Later on, that Sahabi came to see Nabi Sallallahu This rewires in the Mishkat, we covered it. That Sahabi came to meet Nabi Sallallahu and he sat in front of the Prophet of Allah and said, Salam. Nabi Sallallahu did not respond to him. He was shocked. He went again, said Salam. Nabi Sallallahu did not respond. He asked the companions, that, Why is the Prophet not responding to me? So someone said, Perhaps it's due to his earlier comment about that building that belongs to you. So he went and he demolished the building. Rasulullah was passing by again later on. He saw the building was gone. And then he said to the companions that he basically warned them of getting obsessed with building tall structures. Someone needs to send this memo to our brethren in the Middle East, the Gulf countries. We're obsessed with building tall structures. You know, okay, anyway. <laughs> I was just going to say, sometimes you try to do something really cool, but you're like, like 10 years late to the party and it's not cool anymore. Like there was a time where building like skyscrapers was really cool and then it wasn't cool and that's when they started doing it. It's kind of like a like a self burn. Okay. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he then by the way that's sahabi one point I always say here is that imagine this happened during our lives. If the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave us the silent treatment what would you and I do? Huh? Huh, Dimple? If the Prophet ﷺ gave one of us the silent treatment, what would we do? Some of us would say, Alright, then I won't talk to you either. Two can play this game. Oh, you didn't like what I did? Well, I don't like what you did. Guess what? I'm about to start a hashtag and I'm going to get it trending on Twitter. Cancel Muhammad. Astaghfirullah. I know this is mean. I know what I said is rough. I know that my statement there may have caused discomfort, but that's the attitude that we have, unfortunately. That we're friends as long as you're friends. But the moment you say something, that's why when someone comes and says, Shaykh, you know, I want you to correct me if I do anything wrong. I say, buddy, I'm not doing it. This generation of people are too toxic, man. If you say one thing out of line, they will throw you under the bus. So how about you just continue to do good things and I'll keep praising you for those good things. Obviously, I'm joking, but you guys understand the point that I'm making. Yes. When you correct people that you expect good from. That's the reality. People that you trust. Rasulullah he did not show his harshness to people who wouldn't benefit from it. The munafiqun did evil things all the time. They're not worth your time. Go ahead. When he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was pleased, he lowered his gaze. His laugh was mostly a smile. When he laughed, his teeth glittered like white hailstones. Mm, yeah. إِذَا فَرِحَ غَضَّ طَرْفَهُ جُلَّ ضِحْكِهِ تَبَسُّمْ When Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa was happy and he was laughing, it would mostly manifest in the form of a smile. 
This shows us that a teacher, they shouldn't be harsh, they should be kind and loving, yet at the same time they should have dignity and honor. Don't become too relaxed with your students too. Because that may um, diminish the value of the teacher in the eye of the student. There's a fine line there. Even for parents, I know some parents that say, I want to be my child's buddy. Yes, but never stop being a parent. You need to be a parent first. You're a murabbi. You could be a kind murabbi. You could be a friendly murabbi. Murabbi is a mentor. Okay? But you still always need to be a murabbi. Your son shouldn't be calling you Jack. <laughs> That's not appropriate. There should be respect there. There should be boundaries there. And it's the responsibility of the parent to teach those things from a young age. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq to do amal upon what we learn. May Allah azawajal make us from those who follow the example of the Prophet sallallahu and allow us to teach by these prophetic principles as well. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.